Well, good evening, Mosaic Church family. We're glad to see you tonight. I, I had trouble saying glad. We're glad to see you tonight. Hey, would you stand up with us as we worship King Jesus? I wanna read this prayer and I wanna invite you to just pray this aloud with me. This is a prayer for just our attention to fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's, let's read this together. Oh God, our Father, we fix our eyes on you. In the midst of life's chaos or calmness, we turn our attention to you. In the midst of life's wins or losses, we turn our attention to you. In the midst of life's joys or sorrow, we turn our attention to you. We, we have miraculously found ourselves here to worship you, King Jesus. Open our eyes so that we may find that you've been here all along. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. By his grace, through your Holy Spirit, hold our attention. Amen. Let's worship him tonight, church.
Drive Seat Church. Well, hey, welcome. My name's Kyle. I'm the worship team leader here at Mosaic. And if you're a guest, we wanna welcome you to just uh, be a part of what's going on in our church community. We'll have some of our, of our team out in the foyer uh, to contact. If you have any questions at all, we'd love to connect with you. Um, we, we have a, a couple announcements coming up tonight that I would love to fill you, fill you in on. First, if you're a student, which I don't know if we would have any students in this room tonight. Is there, are there any students in here? Okay, if you are a parent of a student or you are a student and you're interested, Cell groups are getting started. Uh, this is exciting time. We, we were talking about how it's launch season kind of everywhere worldwide right now and fellowship kind of jumps in the rhythm of school and we're launching small groups and cell groups. So sixth to eighth grade cell groups uh, meet from 6.30 to eight uh, and ninth to 12th grade at the same time. Head to that website if you have any curiosity at all on how to get involved. Um, there's some pictures, beautiful. It's, it's really fun. I've uh, gotten to be a part of a couple cell groups and it's just a good time. So we also need leaders. If you're interested and curious in being a cell group leader, uh, connect with, with someone in our foyer and we'll, we'll get you involved. Um, next big announcement is we're going to have a baptism and communion service next Saturday. And some of you might be wondering, what is that? Let me tell you. So baptism and communion are two of our big ordinances we, we celebrate as the church. It, it's, it's things that we've gotten to participate in over the years. And we're gonna invite our elementary and middle school uh, students into the service to worship with us. So we just wanna give you a heads up um, and let you know that this is happening because we know that some conversations might need to happen um, before that. So we're actually gonna watch this video and Nate, Matt Natal is gonna help explain a little more of what's gonna happen next Saturday. Check this out. Kids are naturally curious. You can almost expect them to ask why. Uh, in, in ancient Israel, when I think about the life of an average child in, in ancient Israel, I notice the ways that God set his people apart by commanding them to live in ways that distinguished them from other peoples. God wove into their lives constant reminders of his faithfulness, such as holidays and Sabbath days and even monuments in the land or special markings on the homes or on the city gates. And God in his wisdom surrounded Israelite kids with so many opportunities to have their curiosity piqued, to, to be prompted to ask that why that we all know is coming, and to be answered with some story demonstrating the love or the character of God. Our kids aren't surrounded by these rhythms, not in the same way. So we as a church don't wanna miss the opportunities that we do have. Two of the ordinances or the sacraments that we practice are baptism and communion, both of which point to the gospel of Christ and both help us remember Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. So we're bringing kids into adult service more often because this might be the time where their curiosity prompts a why that you can answer with the good news of Jesus. We didn't want those of you leading younger ones to feel caught off guard though. So this video serves both to give you a heads up but also to point you to a resource that you could consider utilizing in your discipleship of the next generation. On the website, there's a link to the baptism and communion handout. This will help you open the scriptures and consider why we practice these two marks of faith. We're doing this announcement now because on September 24th, 
elementary, middle, and high school students will all join us in service as we talk about communion and baptism. So let this serve as kind of a timely reminder uh, for you to, to have these conversations in the next two, one to two weeks. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Just as, as part of our culture, this is something that we're excited to, to join in bringing families together into our services. Uh, so if you, if you wanna have, grab a handout, we'll have that out in the foyer just to kind of walk through some information. If you're a parent in the room right now that's kind of feeling that like, oh no, what's, this, what's gonna happen? We have some resources available for you in the foyer. Church, let's stand and sing to Jesus and let's actually just pray towards this next generation of worshipers and what it means for our church. Oh, Father, we just are praying, Lord, that you change the lives of our young people in our church. Lord, we are included in that as we pray, but Lord, we especially pray for the next generation of Jesus followers in our mosaic body. Lord, that you would raise up leaders to pour the gospel truth into their lives not only so that our church might be equipped, but more importantly, so that they might know what a life with Jesus looks like, the gift that that is. We love you, God. We praise you, Lord. We pray these things in your name, amen.
gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your son, and your spirit. Amen.
standing as we read the word of God tonight. Well, good evening, church. Uh, my name is Taylor Weber. I am the son of Stephen and Desiree and the eldest brother of Jacob and Becca. Um, I'm a student, I'm a friend, and most importantly, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in his divinity and his humanity, and pretty convinced that the way he lived was a good model for us. And that's what Colin's going to be talking about tonight. So we're going to be reading Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ and seated him, or seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, family. How are you tonight? Good. Hey, before we get started, make sure no one around you goes without being greeted and said hello to. So please take a moment and say hi to those sitting behind you, in front of you, next to you. Take 30 seconds just to greet each other with a holy kiss. Just kidding. Don't kiss anybody. And uh, my name's Colin. I serve here with our community team. And I don't have any great introduction. I just wanna get into the letter, if that's okay with you. If you have your Ephesians book, I'd encourage you, go ahead and open it up uh, to page 31 and 32. I would highly encourage you, if you have not already been using this, it has just been a gold mine of time with God at my kitchen table and even with my boys. Even today, I was with my eldest son, Beckham, and he saw it and he said, oh, I know that book, that's Genesis. And I was like, eh, close. It's close. He's, it's Ephesians, buddy. He's like, yeah, Ephesians. Page 32, or if you're, uh, just to have your Bible, will be Ephesians chapter two. Hey, and uh, as we dive in real, real fast, I would love first just to give you quickly what we're stepping into with Paul as he's writing from prison this evening. Um, and as we dive into chapter two, coming out of chapter one, um, first we, we had Paul's song of praise there in the first one, and Paul introduces this idea to the Ephesians of spiritual blessings in Christ. And it's going to come up all throughout Ephesians of the spiritual realm and spiritual blessings and spiritual life that'll be significant to us tonight. Next, he had that power of, uh, or sorry, the prayer and power of God on a cosmic scale for the Christians. And now he's going to turn in chapters two and three out of the cosmos and to the Christian, to an individual and then ultimately to the church. And so we dive in tonight with that and three themes I hope you see throughout the text tonight. One has to do with a ruler. Who has the right to rule is a question that they're actually in panorama of the Bible. We have a training class happening right now across the way. It's, it's a key question throughout the Bible is who has the right to rule? And Paul's going to allude to our condition, the condition of those human beings without Christ. Next, he'll, he'll turn to our salvation, our life in Christ. And then third, our purpose that is our walk with Christ. And as we get into verse one and into these beautiful verses of the letter, I'd love to tell you Paul is writing from a prison cell. Um, some believe it was actually because he took a Gentile into a Jewish temple. And so he's writing to these Ephesians where even next week we'll see that God's creating one new humanity 
But uh, the, the Greco-Roman world is what Paul is writing into here, and particularly in ancient Ephesus, what is now modern-day Turkey, fascinating enough, actually, if you go to Turkey today, it still has some of the same flair. See, it sits right between ancient Near East and the Roman world coming together in this melting pot of diversity. And so Ephesians at this time, or the city of Ephesus, it is cosmopolitan, a port city. It is a big deal. It is popping. Lots of people, lots of hustle. It is a lot of business. Next, it is very diverse. Um, We have a lot of different ethnicities, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different religions, and also it's pretty wealthy. And amongst all of that that's happening, there is a spiritual reality in that city that Paul is addressing, and it's the Greco-Roman occult. And uh, what is happening there is, one, there's a plurality of gods. Um, this was a polytheistic culture. And so they, uh, in the Greco-Roman world, you have gods and goddesses. Uh, in the pantheon, that's up to there's 12 primary gods and goddesses that, uh, in the Roman world that were accepted as uh, the ones to be worshipped. Next, you also had uh, the cult of Artemis. Um, Artemis, also known uh, to the Ephesians as the queen of heaven. Uh, Just a little bit about her temple. Eunuch priests, watch out dudes, virgin priestess and temple prostitutes. These were all normal practices. These were the people who would run the, the temple of Artemis. And it was a primary spot for tourism. It was actually still to this day one of the seven great wonders of the world right there. In, in, Ephesians, in Ephesus. And even if you were to go back to Acts chapter 18, you would see that this church was actually born at a place in time of great hostility because they were bankrupting the idol makers right next to the temple of Artemis. If you go to uh, even Ephesus today, there, there's still the, the talk and the little idols you can still buy in Turkey if you were to go of Artemis because this was a spot. I mean, it's Disneyland, but with a little bit more cult and prostitution. Um, but that, that people are coming to have a good time and they're buying these little figures. And so it, it is a great source. Not only is it spiritual for the uh, people in Ephesus, this is also a great source of income, which is bad news when you have people coming in saying there's another God and he's the only God and calling people to, to turn from those idols. Next, the, the Greco-Roman worldview, it, it was big on religion. This was huge for Romans. Big on effort, my power, my strength, my ability, not trust, not faith. Because these gods and goddesses weren't necessarily dependent. You you can't necessarily come to them and expect to to have them be gracious or kind towards you unless you've done certain things to earn that kind of kindness and favor. And so what you would have is um, this Roman world, they they would very much so have opposition to Paul coming in and saying it is by faith that you enter into right relationship with God. They said, no, 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 no. It's about my works because lastly, they were heavily influenced by, uh, by the occult. That, that for them, that the superstition and magic, they, they believed in spells, incantations, supernatural powers that you could actually manipulate and get into the spiritual realm and it would have physical blessings. That is mostly material blessings. So not only would they go to uh, the the gods and goddesses in the temple of Artemis and, and lay about their, their offerings or their sacrifices, they would also, in their homes, they would be regularly going through these rituals and the goal was not to earn the affection or love of the god or goddess. That was a foreign idea to this, this worldview. It was that I would do these things and then God would do this for me in return. 
And that is the spiritual landscape into which Paul writes this letter to a little church. You could just imagine being in that first church house. Paul's writing to this. We got Timothy right next to us opening the letter. Let's hear what Paul has to say right out the window, the temple of Artemis. And this is the spiritual landscape that these first century Christians are living in. And if we're honest, it's not too much different than ours, is it? Now, our our, our idols may not be the same, and our temples definitely are not the same. But the, the American dream, happiness, prosperity, and wealth, the pursuit of that on my own effort and my own accord, that makes sense to us as Westerners. And I don't know about you, but I've many, many a times tried to manipulate God in my prayer life as if he was going to to give me something, as if I had done something to deserve it and win his affection. And it's in this culture that Paul writes, Ephesians 2, 1. Read with me. As for you, you were dead. I want you to notice this is the human condition without Christ. Paul is speaking in the past tense. It's very important that you understand the tenses in which he places these verbs. So notice, you, you were dead, you used to, when you follow, you lived among them at one time, we were. This past tense, this is something that existed. This is our past before these Christians have come under the rule and reign and leadership of Jesus as Lord. And in three things Paul wants them to notice in this part of the letter is that you were dead in sin, we were enslaved to a different ruler, and we were deserving of wrath. Nothing like the wrath of God at church on a Saturday night, right? Don't worry, it's gonna be fun. As those who are physically dead cannot communicate outside of the grave. You ever been to a funeral? How would you feel if all of a sudden the dead body started talking? It doesn't happen. It's not possible. Paul is not speaking here of a physical death. Otherwise, everything he just mentioned wouldn't make sense. It would be an inconsistent argument. Paul is, again, speaking of the spiritual realities. That is, that you were dead. He's speaking of a spiritual death in this part of the passage. Not that you're, he doesn't say you're sick. He doesn't say you're hanging in there. He says you are, what's the word? Dead. The idea here is that God is spirit and God is life, and without him, you have neither. Spiritually dead and separated from the living God. So as physical beings, we have our minds, our desires, our bodies, our thoughts. We are also spiritual beings, our our souls. And Paul's first point for the Ephesians here is that without Christ, you are dead. Notice what he says, in. That's gonna be a big term throughout Ephesians. This word in, every time you see it in your book or in your Bible, I want you to circle it and see who comes after it. And Paul's going to set up here, in sin or in Christ. And in sin, we are dead. One book by a guy I love, his name is Cornelius Plantinga. He wrote an entire book on sin. (laughs) Like, could you imagine a more sad and worse topic to write a book about? Entire book on sin. And you know what the title of the book is? Not the way it's supposed to be. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he says that dead in sin means to be incapacitated and completely unable to do the work necessary to save ourselves and enjoy union with God. 
In theological terms, this comes up as the, the, one of the key verses that points to a phrase of total depravity. And there's a lot of great debate about that we'll get into in a footnotes later this week. But when we hear that term total, totally depraved, that mankind without God is totally depraved, what we do not mean is that there is no good in mankind. What we also don't mean is that mankind is not capable of doing good things without Christ. Right? Like how many of us know people of other faiths who have done great things in the world? What this dead and sin reality is talking to is not about the physical works of, of anything out here. It's talking about a spiritual reality of which you have no control over. And not only that, that everything, the total, everything in the human experience is depraved. It's, it's in sin. So even at our best, there's still negative consequences and effects of evil in our world that we can't control. I mean, how many of us, you've seen the person on the highway standing next to it with the sign and you go, I wanna give that to that person. The person receives it and then let's say that person then uses that money for something illicit. And let's say that illicit act actually then leads into more and more chaos and evil. And then let's say that chaos and evil actually comes back full circle and ends up punishing. This is the world that is totally depraved and we are incapable of doing anything about it. It's gonna have to take something outside of ourselves. Because if God is the way and the truth and the life, Paul is telling the church in Ephesus here, in sin, without God, spiritually dead. Paul will later say in verse 14, this is a life that is godless. It's without God, no understanding or desire or communication with him, and it is a hopeless life. No hope outside of the physical realm, the physical existence. And the cause of the spiritual death, he says, there it is, in a sphere of existence that speaks of a position. And Paul uses that term in and with all over the letter and two words he uses. One, transgressions, to slip, to fall, to deviate from the right path. So maybe you think I've I've never sinned before, but have you slipped? (laughs) Have you fallen? Have you deviated from the path of righteousness of what you know is right? Uh, I went on a mountain biking trek with some friends of mine a couple of years ago. And uh, I transgressed. I went into territory that I was not supposed to go into. It was a black diamond. I've ridden a mountain bike maybe a week. I transgressed because I was trying on my own accord to get to go this way, but the trail was trying to take me this way. And now my, my shoulder does this. I don't know if you can see that. Kind of gross. Sorry for those at home. And my back still has pain in it. This is what has led us into this place. It is that we have gone into territory and experienced pain and suffering that God did not intend for us to experience. Next, the term sin is is harmatia. This is to miss the mark. Fascinating enough, uh, if you were to look at Artemis, she usually has a bow in her hand. She was an excellent bows woman, not bows men. I guess that's the right term. And And all across Greek mythology, I mean, horrific stories of Artemis just slaughtering these gods and goddesses. And I mean, she never missed the mark. And here's Ephesians sitting here saying, no, 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 you've missed the mark and so has she. And it is because of that, because of these sins, that now we live a life, we follow, our lifestyle is under a different ruler. First, Paul talks about the world. When, when the, the early 
New Testament writers were, were coming together, there's two words for the world that was used, uh, or two understandings of the world. One term, it's cosmos. So for God so loved the cosmos, being his created order, yet at the same time, there's this other understanding of what we've done in God's creative order. That is a, a pattern. It is a lifestyle. It is it is us developing habits that are bent towards sin. So Paul says to the church in Rome, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. It speaks of systems and values which exist in rebellion to God. So first the world. Next, he talks about the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Again, in, in Ephesus, they would have heard that term and they would have said, oh, he's talking about the goddess God realm. All these false idols we're hearing about, they actually have a ruler and that ruler is the accuser, the Satan. And the accuser has actually come, and while God is sovereign over all, he has created a new system, a new rule that exists only for the sole goal of destroying what God has created, of inviting all mankind into rebellion and ruin against the God of the universe. And lastly is the flesh, the passion for sins. We have patterns towards sin. We have a ruler who's empowering us for sin, and now we also have our own desires which have been twisted. God gives us our desires which are good, and sin, twist it. So things like food and relationships and sex and all of God's good gifts now have become a means for us to continue to walk in rebellion and sin against him. And in his recent work, Live No Lies, Recognizing the Three Enemies of Your Soul, I love the way John Mark Homer says that under the rule of sin, we live in, number one, deceptive ideas. That's the Satan. He only speaks lies. Jesus would call them the fathers of it. Deceptive ideas about who we are and what we need. And then these lies actually play to disordered desires. That is the flesh. Uh, a really brilliant saint named Augustine would say that the beginning of all sin starts with the disordered loves. When we begin to put a love for God after anything else, we have now disordered the way that God has created it. And our disordered desires, that is our flesh, is normalized in the society around us that is the world. Deceptive ideas, lies, Satan's native tongue, disordered desires, what God meant for good, we make evil in a normalized society, a system bent towards selfishness and godliness. So in summary, Paul has said here in just the three, first three verses that before Christ, without Christ, you are spiritually dead. That is to be separated from God and the eternal blessings he talked about in chapter one. Your cause of death, sin and transgression. That we ha have walked where we do not belong and we cannot change it. We cannot find our way back. And now we live a life ruled by the three enemies of our soul. And please hear this, that the condition of life and sin, to live a life under the rule of sin rather than the rule of Christ, it always takes you further than you wanted to go. It's the, the danger of pornographic imagery is it begins to rewrite and rewire your brain so much so that you begin to, to have a neurological change and you end up in territory you never wanted to get to. Sin will keep you in bondage longer than you ever wanted to stay. See, the lie is that, that this little gratification, this quick fix is actually gonna be good for you and, and you're gonna end up enslaved to it. And lastly, that it's gonna cost you more than anything you can pay. This is the life under the rule of sin. 
And because of that rule, this is what Paul goes on to say, that by nature, we were deserving of wrath. I love the ESV. It actually says that we were children of wrath, that our nature, not just speaking of our characteristics, but that we actually have a family unit now. We belong to the wrath of God. And uh, when we talk about the the wrath of God, um, there's nothing like a little bit of it in a good sermon, but oftentimes when, when we hear the term wrath, what comes to mind? Typically explosive, irrational, a deep hatred, a rage, that God is going off his rocker and he's gonna blow up on somebody and I hope it is not me. But the problem with that view of wrath is the scriptures. See, the scriptures are going to use God's wrath defined as this. It is an opposition, an opposition to and a righteous judgment of evil and those who are complicit in it. See, it is, the God, is it the God who's quick to anger and abounding in rage? Is that the God of the Bible? Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and will leave no injustice unpunished. Because was it God so hated the world that he took out his rage on his only boy? Is that what we believe? No, it's that God so loved, so loved the world. And, and so I think what we have to do here is, one, if you have a gospel that is not good news for broken, sinful people in a broken, sinful world under a broken, sin-bent ruler, <laughs> if the gospel is not the good news for them, that... That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus, the scriptures at least. But at the same time, and I can lean this way too, if we have a God and we worship a God who is not holy and just, but is only, in my understanding, in my terms, loving and kind, that is not the triune God of Christianity. We have a God who is holy, set apart, completely other than And we have a God who is love. And I don't know about you, but I long, I actually long for God's justice in our world. I just don't wanna be the one to to take on the punishment. And that is the good news that Jesus has is that the wrath of God, he took on the cross and his atoning sacrifice. But when we look at the wrath of God, scripture has five ways we can look at it. One is eternal separation from God. Next is eschatological, that is future wrath of God, at future judgment of evil where it will exist no more on his good world, amen. Cataclysmic wars, disasters, destruction. This is the Noahic flood in Genesis. Consequential, that there are, just, there are natural results for destructive choices that you can have too much of something and it will lead you down a wrong path. And this one is the most terrifying. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter one, the wrath of God's abandonment, just a giving over to your desires. Where God says, it doesn't matter what I do or what I say or what I offer to you. Go, because I can't change you. This is the, what the father and the son and the prodigal experience. Where the father, that the son is gone And the wrath of the Father says, go, go. And yet, the Father still longs with arms wide open. God's wrath is giving sinners what we actually desire and deserve, and it is just good, and praise Jesus, it ain't the end of the story, amen? 
Amen? Because here's what I hear. I hear most people spend their time in their passage in one through three, and no one ever gives time to four and beyond. So, hey, let's get to a little bit of the good news here. Paul continues to say, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. As Westerners, we always read who into the text first. Us. Bad news. God is the subject of this passage. God is the one that we are to fix our eyes on. And he is the one who is doing this work. And when we try to take that, that the, this passage is all about us and what we've done, we actually miss out on Paul's entire teaching that Paul brings us to a present reality now of this is God's nature and his character. Isn't, isn't that true of just all the scriptures where you would have uh, Jonah going to Nineveh full of enemies of God and slave to the enemies of their soul and Jonah with his arms crossed is sitting outside of Nineveh and just going, God, I just wish you would. And what does God do? He's loving and he's kind. He's slow to anger and he extends mercy. And the, the, the city of Nineveh turns toward him and is saved. And what is Jonah's response? I knew you were gonna do that. <laughs> I knew you were gonna be merciful. You always do this. It's, it's just what God is like. Like my wife and I, there's certain things that Aaron Jackson, she's just always gonna do. It doesn't matter. And I didn't bring her up here to testify for herself, so maybe we can get coffee and tell you what those are. But there's just certain things. I'm just like, I knew. I knew she was gonna do that because that's just, that's what she's like. Friends, this is what the God, the triune God of light and love, this is what he is like. How about the God man himself, Jesus, God in the flesh? Does he come for the righteous? Is it the righteous who need a doctor? Is it the, the good who can earn enough of his favor and love and affection? I love Jesus' first teaching. He just came out of the desert with the three enemies of the soul, the flesh, the world, and the devil. After 40 days of fasting, comes back in victorious. And you wanna know what his very next words are? Luke tells us that he went to Nazareth and when he, had brought, uh, when he had been brought up on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was Jesus's custom and Jesus stood up to read and he got the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he said this, unrolling it, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But God who is rich in mercy and love, notice what Paul then says in Ephesians 5, concerning our salvation. First, again, the tense is still past. You were made, you have been raised, you are seated, or you've been seated. All these things are actually things that we don't accomplish. They've already been done in the work of Jesus at the cross. Question, what is Jesus doing right now next to the Father? Sitting. He's ruling. He's reigning. He is seated. The battle is finished. Kings get up to go to battle. What do kings do when they're sitting? Job's done. It is finished. Jesus has fully accomplished the work that Outside this little house church in Ephesus, everyone's trying to earn the favor of Artemis and do enough. And here we're sitting going, no, 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 God has done this for you. And Paul points to three current spiritual realities for those in Christ. Please do not miss this. One, 
uh, that you've been made alive. Two, that you've been raised up. And three, that you are seated with. Notice the in and with here again that Paul is using. Significant terminology he has. And, and that it, was it the Ephesians' good works, their, their good deeds that earn this? No, Paul says that this is all because of God's grace that you are saved. Now, that term saved, sometimes in the English, we, we miss out on what it's actually saying. That The Greek word is sozo, S-O-Z-O. It's a good name. Um, sozo does not just mean that you've been forgiven of your sins, as if that were not enough. Sozo then goes on so much further to communicate that you've been healed and made whole. That God has not just forgiven you of the things that you have done in his sight that are deserving of wrath, that that's been washed and clean. He has now made you whole, perfect, spotless. And oftentimes when I hear Christians talk, they regularly talk about being a sinner. Regularly do we talk about being a saint. That he has saved us, made us whole. Not because of what we've done, but as a work of God alone. More on that in a second. But question, why does Paul say that God would do this? Why, why would God save us? What does Paul say? So that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, kindness, and compassion to us in Christ. This is the God we worship. This is the God who comes to sinners and says, I long to bring you into new life. And those three realities, current realities, that as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, right now, you have. One is that God has made us alive. Paul actually takes two different words here and he makes them one in the letter. He takes a word that means to make alive and he takes a word that means together and he says made alive together. It's nowhere else in in ancient writings except here in Colossians because Paul is trying to help the church understand what God is doing in and through Jesus and that he is bringing us into a new life and new fellowship with God. So if in sin we are separated from God, because of Christ we are made alive. This is the doctrine of regeneration, new birth, new life in, in union and friendship with God. That is God's incomparably great power as he raised Christ, he also has raised us. So when when Paul speaks of being raised with Christ, you're not only made alive with Christ, fellowship with God, welcome to the family, you also have been raised up. That is that this calling up of out of the grave, that this is new power and new quality of life. That not only have we been made alive, spiritually alive with Christ, We also now have been raised to new life because of his spirit, that God actually gives us his spirit and we have a whole new value system of love, kindness, peace, joy, patience, gentleness, self-control that he produces in and through us. Our life no longer enslaved to sin but in friendship with the creator and sustainer and provider of all things. And lastly, this one gets me. You've been seated Paul says that in Christ, we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And I wish we could spend an hour talking about what the heck are you saying, Paul? (laughs) But in short, Paul is telling you in Christ, not only do you have a new life and fellowship and friendship with God, not only do you have a new quality of life as you walk with his spirit dwelling within you, you have a position in the heavenly realms that 
that has actually been reserved for family. You have a position and citizenship in the kingdom of God. So now not only, I mean, imagine again, as an Ephesian just turning from Artemis where all I've known is serving and manipulating an idol to get my way to I did nothing and God raised me up, seated me with him and now invites me to partner with him in this life. He doesn't just call me a servant, he calls me a friend. And not only a friend, he adopts me into his family as a son or a daughter and the work is finished for me, like the spiritual work is finished because I am now seated that there's nothing I can do. So if all this is going down in the heavenlies, that's where Paul says it's happening, what about the earthlies? <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but I see that, and I'm like, okay, that's cool, like seated, that's amazing, I wonder what that's like. What about right now? Well, the, the beauty of the good news from Genesis to Revelations 22 is that God is bringing heaven and earth together. And so if, if in sin we are separated from the heavenlies and we're just living this physical life into a separation from God, because of the cross of Jesus, he is taking what is earthly, the physical world, to bring it together and marry it with what is spiritual, the, the heavenly realm. And that this is actually the story of the scriptures because Jesus promises there at the end in Revelation that I am making all things new. And the goal is that the harmony, the marriage of heaven and earth with God and his people dwelling on it, that this is our hope. And to have a, a position in, in the heavenly realms should fuel us here in the physical realms. To understand that I have a realized position with Christ in the heavenly should help us have hope in the physical. So when we go through hardship or trial or when those three enemies of the soul, they just continue to eat at us and try to pull us away, remember, Paul uses one command in Ephesians 1 through 3. That's not very normal for Paul. And it's one, he says, remember that in Christ, this is who you are. And so we can live in the physical life from that posture until the day where we have new glorified bodies where our spirit, our position in the heavenlies meets a new glorified body here in the earthly. And we walk in the newness of life into eternity. So uh, until then, what do we do? Because I mean, we could just stop there and be like, amen, let's sing a song, right? Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through Faith, you have a footnotes episode. That's where Nick Rowland and I get together and everything we wish we could have said about it right here, we're gonna say in a podcast. There are so many conversations and theological differences between by grace through faith. It's amazing the different debates that we Christians getting into. But what is not debated with an orthodox Christianity is that it is God's work, his grace alone that saves and it is received in and through faith. God's free gift to you of salvation received by faith. And God has provided and we have the call, we receive. But again, we'll talk a little bit more. There's some fancy terms there I wish I could get into, but it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are sozoed, made whole, entered into this reality in the heavenlies as well as here. And Paul continues there, he says, for we are God's handiwork. That Greek term is poema. 
We are God's masterpiece. We are God's, the church, individuals made alive, seated with Christ, raised to new life, are God's masterpiece and put on display as a piece of art. In the foyer, if you leave tonight, you'll see that we actually have a few artists who have put some display of their artwork out there for you to view and to see. This is also uh, the same term that they would use for making statues. Remind me, what was Ephesus' most wealthy and profitable company? Making statues. And so here again, here's this Ephesian sitting here and going, that statue that represents Artemis, that puts her on display, that I am God's poema, his masterpiece, his handiwork. And God puts his handiwork on display in and through the lives of his saints, his children. Broken people in a broken world who've been made new and alive and have a hope beyond it. Because friend, you could go around. Here at Mosaic, we like to say, what is your story? Tell me your story. And what we're doing there is we're actually listening for the handiwork of God in your life. How is he putting himself on display? How has he been gracious and faithful to you? And then Paul says, as God's handiwork, we have good works that he's prepared for us. Friend, you are not saved by works, but you are saved for them. So do I just get to be seated in the heavenly realms, cross my arm and say like, sweet, I'm just gonna wait. Is that what God's plan of redemption is for his church? Uh Uh-uh, it's to get involved. It's to say, I see other broken things and people around me and I'm going to enter in because that's what God has called us to do as his followers. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation to see God's handiwork on display. And I wonder who God has given you to walk in a good work with. To close, a a few things. One, whether you're aware of it or not, Mosaic, you actually have done an incredible job at putting God's love and mercy on display just south of of Ephesus. See, we actually have church planters in Turkey is an image of their steeple, as well as they just opened up a coffee shop where Muslims who have never had an interaction with a follower of Jesus are coming in to drink good coffee and have great conversation and seeing God's handiwork on display. And whether you're aware of it or not, you have actually played a part in that. And the, the team over there thanks you, and I can't wait till they come. But this is 150, this building, 115 miles south of the, the church that Paul was writing this to. I don't know about you, but I get chills thinking about that. That here we are in Northwest Arkansas reading this letter to the Ephesians and thousands of years later, we're still getting to experience God's present reality of him putting on display his good work. So you have a ruler in this life. There's only two and you're not one of them. It's the reign of sin It's the reign of Christ. And you either have a quality of life where you have a physical existence and then it's done, separated from God. Or you have a physical existence with a spiritual life being made new and alive with God. And you have a purpose from being a son or daughter of wrath and disobedience to in Christ becoming one who displays the grace and goodness of God. And that day by day, we can delight and dwell with him. So friends, to close in Christ, you are gifted 
new life with God. Saved from sin and saved for him. Three things just before we close. One, if you are under the rule and reign of sin, it's time to get out. It is not going to work. And so the invitation, we'll have our prayer team available on the side. The prayer doesn't save you, but it is simply accepting and receiving. I know who Jesus is. I know what Jesus does. And I want him as my king and savior for eternity. And it's turning, repenting from the the rule of sin in our life and believing. Yeah, I trust this. I receive it. If you haven't made that choice, I cannot encourage you enough. Don't leave this room tonight without making. Next, Paul gave us one command. It was the the remember, rejoice. We're gonna sing here in a moment and we're just gonna rejoice in the kindness and love and mercy of God. And lastly, I, I would encourage you, Mosaic, as you leave this place, would you go and seize the opportunities God has given you to put him on display in your home, in your city, in your neighborhood, that the aroma of Christ, people would just see your life and they would go, there's this crew called Mosaic and they actually follow Jesus for real and they kind of smell like him and they kind of talk like him and I want more of it. And to close, if you would, if you have your book, there's a prayer in there. I'd invite you to pray daily this week, page 32. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your great love, kindness, and grace that gives us life. We praise you for this gift of grace that saves and transforms us. May we, as your handiwork, walk in the good things that you have planned for us today. Amen. It's alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter. My all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands.
victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of christ to sing hallelujah we praise him God of blessing, thank you that you really do love me. Even when I don't feel it, you love me. Thank you that you love to bless people, to do good to us. Thank you that I experience your blessings and kindness every day. God of blessing, thank you that you, because of Jesus Christ, I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. I am chosen by you because you want me. I'm adopted into your family because you want me. I'm a recipient of your lavish grace every day. I am redeemed by Jesus's blood. I'm forgiven all my sins against you and others. I'm sealed as yours by your Holy Spirit. sing this together. Amazing grace, how Whoa. 
Lord, thank you for the grace that you've extended us. Lord, thank you for your spirit speaking to us and guiding us even now as we gather in this gathering together. Lord, we love you. Help us to keep in step with your spirit as we go. We pray these things in your name, amen. Hey church, if you need prayer, we'll have our, our prayer team around front. If you're a guest or have any questions, we'll have leadership out in the foyer to, to give you information in our info booth. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, great job. We'll see you next week, church.